morning, Bethel. Our scripture reading is uh, found in the Gospel of John. So if you want to grab a Bible and turn to John 17, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, and you can find the passage on page 903. So just five verses, and then I'll pray. So if you wouldn't mind standing in honor of God's Word, and you can follow along as I read. John 17, verses 1 to 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people, all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay, so we are in the midst of a brief Um, series on our mission or purpose statement and our values. Mission, purpose, same thing. Um, You can see that statement on the front of the bulletin. You see it there, our purpose to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples. So last week we looked at that mission statement and unpacked it specifically. Um, And we looked at it from 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12. Uh, Just listen, I'll remind you of that passage, and you'll see why it's a, a, a great embodiment of our purpose statement. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so as a result of receiving this mercy, we can then proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light by his great mercy. So we're all little reflectors. We give off the light of what we love. It doesn't take long. You spend some time around someone and you find out what they're really into what they really love, what they treasure, what they value, okay? So hopefully our lives are set like a telescope on the glory of God and what to many people looks far away and distant. And like last night, I was taking a prayer walk. I don't know if you noticed this. It was a really clear night, beautiful night for the stars. Um, it's about 10.30-ish, something like that. And there was this skylight. I wanted to... I didn't have time to do it, but have you ever done it where you get in the car, try to find where the thing was? I don't know if it was like in Kennett Square or Glen Mills or something like that. Anyway, so at first I'm like, oh, so impressed with the skylight. That's pretty amazing technology that, you know, lights can do that in the sky, especially where there's a lot of lights. We're not in the middle of the, you know, um, fields of wherever, 
you know, there's a lot of, of light pollution, is that what they call it, um, which, which uh, diminishes uh, the ability of that thing to shine brightly. But then um, I do this circle, and I'm coming back, and it was really a, a clear night. So there's these stars that were just, wow, they're so beautiful, and, and yet they're so small. But they're so small, not because they're small. They're so small because they're so far away. And if that star could be brought in close proximity to that, str- to that skylight, are you kidding me? It'd just burn up. So if you have a telescope, you can see that this massively huge thing that seems small is massively huge. So that's what our lives are supposed to be to the glory of God. Some people think God is small and irrelevant. No, he's actually incredibly gloriously relevant. And so many things that seem so impressive, like skylights, are really pretty pretty pathetic. It's kind of like, here's my flashlight, and there's the sun, which is more impressive. So we exist to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples. Okay, so first week was the the mission statement, and then the next three weeks, this week and the next two, are going to be our values. If you've been with us for a little while, you know that we've had, for the last several years, five values. Okay, so Chad, if you can put up the five, um, God, gospel, growth, community, and mission, which they're all good. We don't want to assume God. He's the great treasure of the universe, the triune God, one in three, three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. We don't want to assume God and then get on with what we really love. No, God is our greatest treasure. That's one of the things we're going to talk about this morning. Um, the gospel of Jesus. How in the world do we get reconciled to God? Only by the, by the gospel. Only because Jesus came. Only because God came after us to redeem us and rescue us. And then growth. Gospel changes us. It's powerful to convert us, to take us from darkness and transfer us to light, but also to shape our character into the image of Christ so that we love people well, like Jesus. And it produces community where what in the world are we all doing together, this motley crew? What do we have in common? Well, we have Jesus in common. And when we have Jesus in common, there is no unity like the unity that Jesus can produce, this gospel community, oneness in the midst of diversity. And then also the gospel sends us out to minister to other people, to meet needs, to love, and to draw people in. So it has this missionary impulse, this going out to meet needs and draw people in dynamic. So that's why we've had five. We're going to actually simplify it down to three. Now, what's precious to us hasn't changed but we're just going to summarize it differently and make it simpler and easier to remember. So it's now going to be the gospel, community, and mission. That's a little easier to remember, isn't it? Okay, but it still encapsulates all five. Okay, so if someone were to ask you what Bethel is all about, there you go. We treasure the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, you talk about Jesus and how you get God. And the gospel changes us. Of course we grow. Which way does the gospel send us? It sends us further in, oneness with God, intimacy with God, communion with God, community with God, and with each other. Okay, That's why we have the small groups that we have, which we've called home groups in the past. We're going to change that too. We're just going to change everything. No, we're not changing everything, although there's probably lots more that needs to change. 
but we're going to call them community groups. Okay, so they meet in a home. That's all the further that the description, you know, okay. What are they about? Well, they're about community, gospel community, blood-bought community. Okay, so we'll start to call them community groups, and we'll change that on the website and every place, and it'll take a while and whatever. Okay, it's not a big deal. The thing is, is it happening? That's what we're after, okay? So the gospel of Jesus Christ, community that's produced by the gospel, not just Christians standing around talking about sports, which isn't a bad thing, but our real community and unity comes when we have Jesus in common and we seek first his kingdom together, um, and it sends us out on mission, both to meet needs within this body and also on mission to reach other people with the good news of the gospel, to draw them in to the community, right? So it's this in and out thing, which you've heard me say this before. Have you ever seen those old metal antique tops that have like a design on the top, and when you pump it, it looks like the thing's going in and out, in and out, and out? That's, that's the triune God of love who loves to pull people in, and that's why he sent his son. And whenever we get the gospel, it draws us in and sends us out. It draws us in and sends us out. It draws us in and sends us out. Okay? So, gospel, community, mission. Okay? And when those things really, those values really are our values, those are the things that are precious to us, our lives will reflect how great God is. Our telescope, the, light, the telescope of our life will be set on the, the sun of God's glory or the star of God's glory, and people will see this great, glorious, marvelous God. They'll be able to see him more clearly through us. And how precious to us is the work of Christ so that we can have God and we glorify his worthy name and we do more and more people good. We love more and more people, okay? So you can see how the values are connected to the mission statement. So we're not going to talk, we're not going to um, stop treating God as precious, okay? We're not going to assume him. He still is and must be our greatest treasure, our most precious gift. And we're certainly not going to talk, drop talk of gospel growth, okay? The, the gospel is the power of God to save, and it's the power of God to change and transform us and make us the radiantly loving people that live like Jesus and love like Jesus. So this morning, the gospel is our value. Next Sunday, Pastor Tyler is going to be preaching on community. And then on 1129, Dr. Singer, Dr. Dwight Singer, where's Dwight? There he is. Um, He's going to be preaching on mission, okay? So we're going to begin in John 17, the text that I read um, a few minutes ago. Look at it there with me at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. So this is after he's met with his disciples, you know, the Last Supper, and he's said all these things, and he's just about to go to the cross. And we get this amazing window into what's going on in his mind and heart as he prays to his Father before he goes to the cross. When he spoke in these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. What hour? Well, the hour in John's gospel refers to the death of Jesus. Okay, so flip back to to John 12, 23, and you'll see it. Just flip back a couple pages. John 12, 23 and 24. 
this is especially relevant because it also talks about glory, and that's in our text in chapter 17 as well. So Jesus answered them, the hour, you see it? There's that phrase again. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How's that going to happen? When's that going to happen? And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I didn't come to save my life. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I came to die so that I could gather lots of people into my kingdom. My death will bear much fruit and so glorify God. So that's why Jesus came, to die, so that by his sacrifice, by his death, much would be accomplished and it would bear much fruit. Many people would find new and everlasting life. So Jesus is praying, Father, the hour has come. It's time for me to go to the cross. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all flesh or all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So the Father is going to glorify the Son, magnifying his worth, displaying his glory. The Son is going to glorify the Father, magnifying his worth, displaying his glory. And though he's not mentioned in this text, we know from plenty of other passages that that's the Spirit's passion as well, to glorify the Son and the Father. So within the Trinity, I know I can't get my mind around the Trinity either, so if you're blown away by that, um, you're not alone. Within the Trinity, you have this mutual magnification society, (laughs) this loving displaying the glory of each person. So take our mission statement and apply it to God. God reflects God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples. Do you know that God is passionately committed to this mission? It's why he does all that he does. Why did he create? For his glory. Why did he deliver from the Exodus? For his glory. Listen to Exodus 9, 16. For this purpose I've raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power, to put it on display, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Why does, if we fast forward to the cross, why does he display his glory and grace through Christ? Listen to just a couple texts here. Romans 15, 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to show God's truthfulness, to display God's glory. There's so many texts like this. Romans 5, 8, we know it well, but God shows his love or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? God wants us to see his love and his righteousness, and his glory, and his truthfulness, and his worth. He wants to demonstrate, demonstrate it, put it on display, to prove to us, to show us that he is loving and trustworthy. 
so that we would be convinced that he is the treasure of the universe, right? That's what God's like. <laughs> That's the impulse behind everything that he does from creation to redemption. It's the impulse behind the gospel. So what is the gospel? That's the value this morning. That's what our focus is. So what is the gospel? Well, I hope that you would know the answer to that question, but maybe some of us are not too clear on it. Did you notice point two in, in parentheses is what's the treasure of the gospel? So read the question both ways. What is the gospel? Actually, the parentheses should be around of. Um, what is the gospel? But what's the treasure of the gospel? Well, gospel just means good news. So what's the good news? Well, it's news about something that happened. The gospel is not advice. It's not, hey, if you're a good person, God will let you into heaven. That's advice. The gospel is news. It's something that happened. Like Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. God keeps his word. And that he appeared. He really did rise from the dead. He appeared to multiple people. He appeared to 500 people at one time. And at the time of the writing, most of them were still alive. You can go ask them. You can verify it. So that happened, and it changes everything. It's news. Have you ever noticed how news can sometimes change everything for you, for ill or for good? And even though the gospel is something that happened, it's back then. If you really know what this news is all about, if you really realize how important and earth-shaking it is, it changes everything. So the message, the news of Christianity, the good news is not if you're a good person, God will let you into heaven. It's, you know what? You and me, we're bad. <laughs> we're not good. We're bad. We're not blank slates. We're not neutral. We're bad. We're bent and broken. We're selfish. We're turned in on ourselves. We'll even use service for our own sake. We're like mercenaries all the time. So the, the gospel says, you know, some of you know what the Romans wrote is, right? The summary from Romans, none is righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then there is a response to that good news that is, I mean, you've got to respond to this. You can either just say, forget it, that's just a bunch of myths and legends, where you can see, no, this really happened. This changes everything. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the Romans road. And the gospel is all over the Bible. You know, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, this dark, broken world that was just telling him to shove off, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but of everlasting life. 
Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, another great summary of the gospel. For our sake, God made him, Christ, to be sin. Who knew no sin? He was sinless. He doesn't deserve to die. Who's he dying for? He's dying for us. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. So for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is good news for sinners like you and me. It's only not good news if you don't think you need it. And yet, I I imagine most people, if they're honest, like have you ever, I've asked people this, just on a plane or whatever, if you died and stood before God, would you ask for mercy or justice? Maybe write that one down. Why don't you say, Lord, I want to ask that question to somebody this week. And you, you probably get a chance to share the gospel with them. I think most people would say, I actually did have a guy say justice one time on, on a plane, but anyway. Uh, we're going to say mercy. But then the next question is, on what basis? How can God be just and just sweep your stuff under the rug? If you, if you know you need mercy because you haven't kept his law, then how, how in the world can he just turn a blind eye to that if he's really a just judge, a good judge? So Jesus died to save us from the just condemnation that we deserve from hell. He, di- he died to redeem us and bring us home to heaven when we die and we have the promise of one day when Jesus returns, all things will be made new and we're going to live in this new creation, new heavens and new earth and glorified, resurrected bodies and we really are going to live happily ever after. But... I want us to think about this this morning. This is so important. Is salvation merely a change of future address from hell to heaven? Do we need to be saved and forgiven merely so that we don't get punished? Okay, so last night, a um, little argument with Beth right before she needed to take Hannah somewhere. <laughs> um, and it was, it was my fault. So I is totally terrible timing, and what I said was, was kind of like, like what we had talked about and agreed upon the night before hadn't happened, you know, one of those deals. Um, so, guilty. So, a little argument, and then she had to go. So, I'm like feeling like an idiot. And Okay. Um, so, I, she was gone for a couple hours because of this, this commitment. She stayed with Hannah during um, this thing that Hannah had, and so I texted an apology And then we talked about it later in the evening. Now, let's say you could be a fly on the wall and you could kind of like see into the motives of my heart, okay? And imagine, what would you think of my apology if you learned that I did it so that she would be warm to me in the bedroom that night? Or so that she would iron my shirt for me this morning. Or so that she would make me breakfast this morning. Or, you know, we're doing a marriage class right now, and that's at 9 o'clock, and this was yesterday, and boy, I would like to really avoid the possibility of looking bad in the marriage class. 
um, you know, if the unresolved issue surfaced. So I better get this thing kind of ironed out. Are those good reasons to apologize? What do you think of that apology, if that's the motive? Those are mercenary motives. Like a young woman who marries an older man for his money. Right? He's like, ooh, that's, that's ugly. What do they call it, a gold digger? <laughs> Is that what? Anyway. She doesn't want him. She wants all that he can give her. She wants the money. That's what he... That's what she's magnifying the worth of. So here's the question. What is so good about the good news? Is it just that you get out of hell and you get a new body? Like, do we treat God like AAA? You know, the roadside service thing? And so much more. <laughs> um, it's true. Uh, we are members, okay, and Zach works there, so no, I'm not bashing AAA, okay, um, but if you treat God like AAA, you might not have real faith. God is not a tool to use. Yes, he's a deliverer. Oh, it's wonderful. Yes, he's a helper, but he is not an errand boy or a middleman. He's not the FedEx guy. He's not the AAA tow truck driver. He is your creator. He is the king of kings. He is your heavenly father. He's the good shepherd. He's the greatest lover of your soul, and on and on and on. So just one little tester here, just to examine our hearts. When you think about dying and going to heaven, which obviously I am the way that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth of life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's the only way. John Piper loves to ask this question. Have you ever heard this? The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters could, uh, could be yours. Uh, I must have typed this in wrong. <laughs> no human conflict or any natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ wasn't there. So one of the things that sometimes, you know, piques my interest is how oftentimes when talking about death in the church, oftentimes we as Christians talk about how we are looking forward to being reunited with loved ones hardly ever talk about seeing God face to face. That is the ultimate reunion. Union with him. So do you see how God himself is the treasure? He's the gain of the gospel. That's what makes the good news good news is that you actually get God. Not that you get streets of gold. Woo! Like, who cares if you get streets of gold if you don't have the one who created gold? Listen to the way Paul talked about his conversion. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Don't feel sorry for me. In order that I may gain Christ. And so he said crazy things like this. 
He's in prison and he says, it's my eager expectation and hope that now, as always, Christ will be honored, magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart with, be with Christ, for that is far better. He doesn't say, oh, I want to die so they can get out of this stupid prison. I wanted to die and depart and be with Christ because that's better by far. So do you see how people who treasure God himself in the gospel of Jesus, that it's this great news of this great God's sacrificial love to the utmost love to bring, him back to, to bring us back to himself. People who treasure God himself are those who magnify his worth and glory. So here's Jesus, John 17. He's about to die for us and he's praying. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you've given him authority to give eternal life to all whom you've given. And then look at verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you. It's heaven to know God. That they know you and me, whom you have sent. Heaven is heaven because God is there. Because we get God. That's why the psalmist can say crazy things like, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And because that's true, my lips will glorify you, even if I'm suffering. So heaven is heaven because God is there, because we get God, this perfect loving relationship with God. And so that know, like this is eternal life, that they may know you, that know is, is not just intellectual assent. And certainly we need to know things but it is relational knowledge, real knowledge, not just knowing about, but knowing interpersonally, like father and child, like husband and wife, like shepherd and sheep, like friend and friend. So is the God of the gospel your treasure? We need this perspective so badly. I need this perspective so badly, more than we know. And you know what? The reason that God wants us to be oriented this way is because he is so relentless and stubborn in his love, he wants to give us the very best. He wants to give us himself. And so he'll often even take other things away in order to do just that. So let's say you need a job. If that is your great end, you might be tempted to, at least in the moment, that's your great end, you might be tempted to treat God like a AAA tow truck driver. And if God answers, after he answers, you're going to forget about him for the most part. If he doesn't answer, you're going to wonder if he really loves you and cares. Or let's say you get the cancer diagnosis. If physical health, the avoidance of death is your great end, well then if you're healed, you're going to be happy. Full remission. If you're not healed, you're going to be angry and fearful and not ready to die. Do you see how shaky that is if God's not your end? He wants to give you himself. He wants to give us himself. 
So this, this whole dynamic, our faith, if it's really in him, that we want him for him and not a mercenary apologizing to have sex that night or whatever, the dynamic is tested whenever there's something we really want or whenever there's the threat of loss of something that we really treasure. Is God enough? Is he our ultimate end? Okay, so the, the worth of God needs to come home to us. It needs to be real to us by the power of the gospel. Tim Keller tells a story of a teenage girl in his congregation years ago that he met with. He says, she was about 16 at the time, and she was discouraged and becoming depressed. I tried to encourage her, but there was a revelatory moment when she said, yes, I know Jesus loves me. He saved me. He's going to take me to heaven but what good is it when no boy at school will even look at you? And then he writes, Christ's love was an abstract concept while the love of these others was real to her heart. And he also says, or if a person said, I know God cares for me, but I'm still paralyzed by fear then that means you don't truly know that God cares for you. If you did, then the affection of confidence and hope would be rising within you. So I hope this doesn't come like this heavy burden, like, oh, I'm, I'm horrible, I'm horrible, I'm never really believing. No, the whole point is, do you realize that God wants to give you himself? Do you realize that God is the great treasure? So, so if he doesn't press on you and convict you of settling for second things, he's allowing you to just continue to live this life on shifting sand. So, yeah, if he's pressing on us like, oh, man, I, I don't often really know these realities. These other things are so much bigger. Well, God loves you and wants to give you more of himself, to make himself more real to you by the power of the gospel. So we really need him to be our treasure, not just fire insurance religion, get out of hell free card, and then just go live and forget him like, like we forget the AAA tow truck driver. So I hope that's what you want. And if that's what you want, let me just try to make it practical um, as far as how we pursue this by means of, of an analogy. Okay, so the analogy is that of learning another language. We, we we, in a sense, we need to learn a new language and culture. Okay, growing as a Christian is like growing in fluency in a new language and culture. Okay, so point number four, gospel fluency or your new heart language. So think about it this way. We are, if, if you're a Christian, you're, you've been adopted into God's family. But many of us still have trust issues like a newly adopted orphan, right? We're survivors. We are suspicious of authority. We are suspicious of statements of love and commitment. We're suspicious of God and others. So the love of our Heavenly Father needs to become more real to us. And when it does, everything slowly and surely changes. So remember last Sunday, once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. You've been transferred, rescued out of the domain of darkness and transferred into his marvelous light. Well, when you were still an orphan, you had to fend for yourself. And you lied and manipulated and stole to get what you want. But if you're a Christian, you've got this new heart and the 
gospel is the language of your new family, your new home. Okay, gospel's not our native tongue. Our native tongue is forked. (laughs) Did God really say? So we need to really get in grammar school here. The grammar school of the gospel. So for instance, um, I don't want you guys to have your eyes glaze over when I start talking about grammar. So just hang in there. You know how there's mood, and we've said this before, but you know how there's a mood of, um, there's like the indicative mood and the imperative mood. So indicative is stuff that's been done and imperative is stuff you need to do. So the grammar of the gospel, there's an order. The indicatives always precede the imperatives. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Have no other gods before me. It's not have no other gods before me and then maybe I'll bring you out of Egypt. You see how that's the grammar of the gospel? So there are things that have been done. And yes, of course, there are things we must do, but the first gives rise to the second. The horse drives the cart. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to take away our sins so we can love one another because we've first been loved by God. So we don't obey God in order to be accepted. Do more. Do better, and you'll be okay with God and others. No, we obey God because we've been accepted. This is like a new language. It's like a whole new culture. We're not immediately fluent. So we need to go to gospel language school. We need full immersion, actually, (laughs) which is kind of what the church ought to be. Full immersion for fluency in gospelese, for marriage and parenting and work life and evangelism and counseling and encouragement and all kinds of things. So this foreign culture, this is heaven's culture, the language of heaven in a sense, brought to earth this perfect loving community, society, all based on God's love for us. So um, let's see, I need to summarize here quickly. Let me, let me just give an example here. So a couple weeks ago, on Wednesday nights, we're talking about um, the pervasive issue of a critical spirit and where it comes from. So the first night I did this, I said, hey, think about the last time you were really critical of someone and uh, tell me why you were really critical of that person. And, and so, you know, writing on the board, they were annoying, they don't listen to what I tell them, da 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 And so after about three or four minutes, I said, hey, look at the board. You see that all these bullet points start with they. The reason I'm being critical is they. Wait a second. What about what's going on in here if you have a critical spirit? Is it really caused by them? Like, and so what about what about insecurity? Does that have anything to do with critical spirit? What about jealousy? What about self-righteousness? Okay, so we need to learn to interpret reality. This is a new culture, a new language. We need new eyes, a new grid. So, so if you actually can identify the heart issues then, because you've gone to gospel school and you're learning and you're growing in fluency, you start to see your own heart more clearly and understand it. 
does the gospel say anything to insecurity? It was so sweet that night. Actually, it was the next week. I put insecurity, self-righteousness, and pride, and jealousy on the board. I said, what does the gospel have to say about this? And I had like a text that we were going to walk through. We spent the whole time talking about how the gospel directly speaks. I mean, I hope there's stuff just coming in your head. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Self-righteousness? What in the world? Do I really want the world set up that way? Relative righteousness? If you have to accomplish your own righteousness before God, then of course you're going to have to establish the fact that you're superior to so-and-so because it's this hierarchy thing. But what if there's no one righteous? No, not one. I'm in trouble unless God gives me his righteousness by the gift of his son. And then I'm secure, and I know who I am, and I don't have to nitpick everybody and look down my nose. I thank God I'm not like that person. Oh, actually, I am like that person. I'm like every person. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So anything ugly I see in them is just a mirror of what's going on in my own heart or has gone on in my own heart. So I'm not going to be the first one to throw a stone. So do you see insecurity, jealousy? I mean, it's just, so I was going to take some more time to hit some more issues and just give examples, but listen, this, this is what the church ought to be, is this full immersion in language school. And it's not just language, it's, it's like understanding our hearts, it's a whole culture. Okay, so asking in every scenario, what is the issue here? Help me see it, Lord. Help me interpret it through the grid of this new, these new lenses and help me to apply the gospel to those things. And you know what? Sometimes you're really going to struggle to identify the issue and you're going to need some help seeing things clearly, identifying, applying. So that's what community groups are for. Or when it gets really hard, you know what? You get some counseling because you need somebody to come in and just help you see and interpret reality and give you some intensive training in the gospel. So there's folks here that do that. Certainly Pastor Tyler and I, but also Bill and Barb and Susan Quigley and Mike Saunders and others, okay? So the more fluent we become in the gospel for our own heart, our own circumstances, our own relationships, the better we're going to be able to help others interpret their reality and speak the gospel into their lives as well. So what happens is, as we grow in gospel fluency in this full immersion culture, we draw closer to God like the adopted child who grows in confidence of his parents' love and soul-level security as he knows him. And then we start loving each other more actively because we've first been loved so well by God. And so the centripetal and centrifugal force of the gospel, and you can look at it. You can look in John 17. You see them both. I won't, I won't point it out for the sake of time. But the gospel makes us one. It sends us in, and the gospel sends us out. Just as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus is sending us into the world. So... We have got such good news. <laughs> we should want to share this with everybody, meaning everybody in the church, reminding each other so that we become so fluent in the gospel. We just, 
Everything gets run through this grid because we're a new people with a new language, new hearts, new community. And then it should make all the sense in the world to want to tell it to the world. So we're going to end by singing a song that helps us continue to learn. Like The songs we sing, it's like trying to give you the soundtrack of the gospel for your life. So it helps us continue to learn the gospel. So we're going to sing a song in Christ alone that helps us with the language of the gospel, um, growing in fluency, and then um, we have an announcement. Oh God, you are so good, so loving. We have the best news in the world. We have the best God, the only God. You are great and you are ours. And I pray that we would treasure you. And I pray that you would make us fluent in the gospel, that it would just shape every part of our being and we would read all of our experiences, our own hearts, relationships, everything through this grid and that we would be able to help other people interpret reality uh, in wise, loving ways. Please, for the sake of your great name, would you grow and shape us. In Jesus' name, amen.